Welcome to Hydrant Church. We're so glad that you have joined us for the beginning of this new series of messages called The Warrior Code. It's an ancient pathway to peace. At the heart of every warrior is the desire for peace. Every true warrior only fights for peace. But we look around our world and there is a battle that is raging. And for many of us as Christians, we we like to talk about our faith as a journey, or we like to talk about walking with Jesus, but we don't often remember and remind ourselves of the instruction to put on the armor of God. The armor of God is a call to battle. It is a reminder that we are in a fight. If we ever hope to see peace in our world, if we ever hope to see the the end of racism, if we ever hope to see the end of hate and anger, it's not going to happen through politics. It's not going to happen through war between nations. It is going to happen when men and women go to battle for their own souls. It begins when we find peace within ourselves with God. We look around our world and we can see that it's not the way it's supposed to be. It's not the way it's supposed to be. We fight against one another. There is rage and racism and hatred and violence and chaos all around us. The truth is that it's all around us because that same panic and rage and hatred and fear and violence is within us. And we have to win this battle. We go to battle for our own souls. We go to battle for the sake of our children. We go to battle for the heart of our communities because we are the ones that God has invited to join him in a fight, a fight for creation, a fight for every man and every woman, for the the soul of humanity. We are in a battle. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to be looking at the various elements of the warrior code for those who would engage this fight. Maybe you want to take this study a bit further and dive in even deeper with us. We invite you and encourage you to, to go online and find a copy of Erwin McManus's book, The Way of the Warrior. You could read about a chapter a week and keep up with us and be able to to dive even deeper into this call to embrace the warrior code so that we as, as human beings, we as men and women might be who we were created to be. We might follow in the footsteps of Jesus himself. We look at this world. We look at this species of humanity and we can see beauty and creativity and originality. We see a, a people who, who were able to discover fire and harness the power of electricity. We have the ability to fly all around the world. We can, we can learn something new by picking up a little device that sits in our hands. We have access to sharing information. We can connect with people around the world across screens because we can send not only data and sounds, but entire images across the world 
in an instance. There is this massive creativity and ability and potential within humanity. But there's one thing we have not yet figured out. We have not yet been able to create peace. We cannot create peace in our communities. We cannot create peace in our nations. We cannot create peace in our world because we cannot create peace within ourselves. There is a war raging around us because there is a war raging in us. There is a war raging around us. There is racism, there is hatred, there is violence, there is senseless killings and abuse between spouses and of children. There is slavery, there is this brokenness in our world because there is a war raging within us that on our own we have been powerless to win. We find that this This turmoil, this anxiety, this fear, this lack of peace often resides even in us as people of faith. We come to Jesus and we hope and we believe and we think that that a simple commitment of faith will somehow erase that panic within us. That it will somehow just magically fix all that is broken within us and in our lives without a fight. We think that we're just supposed to suddenly be able to engage in a chaotic world without any chaos within us. But peace, peace never comes without a struggle. Peace never comes without a struggle. The Apostle Paul tells us that we are in a battle, that we are in a fight, we are in a war, but we are not in a war with one another. Men and women are not in a war against each other. We are not in a war with people who think differently than us. We are not in a war with people who believe differently than us. We are not in a war with people who have a different skin color than we do. We are at a war, not with flesh and blood, but with spirits and principalities. We are at war with forces that call out the worst in us and rob us of our peace. We surrender our peace to these fears and anxieties and disappointments and struggles and baggage day after day, week after week. And Jesus invites us to more. He invites us to battle. It's crazy. It's crazy how how often we tend to think we know the Bible without really knowing the Bible. You know, we, we, in fact, we often pretend to know the Bible better than we know the Bible. Maybe, maybe not you, but we, we, we come across those folks who, who, who know the stories of, of Rahab, and they know the stories of Esther and Deborah. They know the stories of David and Elijah. They know the stories of Jonah, but they don't really know the stories. We look at the the, 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 the simple versions, the highlights of these stories, and we think, oh, I want a life like that. I want a life with that kind of power. I want, to, I want a life like that hero of the faith. 
but we rarely look at the, the full spectrum of their lives because if we looked at the stories of Esther and we looked at the story of Rahab and if we looked at the story of, of Elijah and David, we might not really want what it took for them to become these heroes of the faith. Before any of the, the soldiers you might imagine, before any of the, the, the warriors that you can think of, before any superhero, before Wolverine, before the Avengers, before Superman, there was Elijah. Elijah had a power like none other. Elijah said a little prayer and the skies shut up and stopped raining for three and a half years. For three and a half years, it didn't rain because Elijah said a prayer. I don't know about you, but I would love to be able to pray and stop the rain every now and again, especially when I want to go fishing. Love to be able to stop the rain when I'm out on a boat. But Elijah has that power. Elijah, one of my favorite stories of Elijah is when he he comes face to face with the prophets of Baal on top of the mountain. There is this showdown for the heart of Israel. Elijah said, today is a day that we have to decide who we are going to serve. And there's this showdown that happens up on the mountain and they set up two offerings, one for the prophets of Baal and one for Elijah. And in the, the way that they're going to decide whose God is the real God is that they're going to pray. And whichever God sends fire from heaven and consumes the offering is the real God and will be the God of Israel. Elijah is a courteous guy, a little confident, maybe a little arrogant, but he allows the prophets of Baal to go first. And they begin to pray. And they begin to dance. And they begin to, to cut themselves. They begin to hurt themselves trying to get their God's attention. But their God is not real. And so Elijah, I told you, a little bit confident, maybe a little bit arrogant, he begins to taunt them. Maybe, maybe your God's on vacation. You need, to, you need to scream louder. He really, if you, if you look at it, he, there's this one part that, depending on how you read it, he's kind of like he's in the bathroom. Maybe your God's in the bathroom. Maybe he's constipated, and you're just going to have to wait. You're going to have to dance longer and, and cut yourself more and hurt yourself more and demand more of yourself for this God to get his attention. And so they do, but nothing happens. Just a side note. There are a lot of us in our world today worshiping any number of gods that are demanding things of us that aren't healthy, that aren't good, that are hurting us. We pursue gods of wealth and we, just, we pursue gods of beauty and sex and power that are demanding that we hurt ourselves, demanding that we sacrifice those around us demanding that we, we force ourselves to be something we were never created to be so that we can get their attention and gain their favor. But those gods are as empty and hollow and impotent as Baal was. And so when they have danced until the dark of night, Elijah, Elijah says, hey, let's make this more interesting. 
And he has the, the, the animal put on, the sacrifice put onto the altar. And then he has water, 12 jugs of water poured all over the altar and the animal and in a trench surrounding it. And he says this little short prayer. God, you got this. You know, you know what needs to be done here. I have no doubt that you're going to do it. Would you just show these people who you really are? And fire comes down and it consumes stone and sacrifice and water and the whole thing. And in that moment, Elijah has the soldiers of Israel put the prophets of Baal to death. 400 prophets of Baal against one Elijah and he fearlessly stands up to them in the name of God. But then when we come to 1 Kings chapter 19, there's a part of this story that I imagine Elijah was, wishes was left out. A part of this story that we'd rather not talk about. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1, we read these words. Now, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Now, just taking a, a step back to give you some context, Ahab and Jezebel are, are, are terrible rulers. Selfish and demanding and cruel. Known for their cruelty and, and known for their, their imposition of false gods upon Israel. And so he, Elijah, he destroys he destroys the worship of Baal in Israel at this time, and Jezebel hears about it. So verse 2 says, Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say this, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like one of those prophets. If I, so basically she, she sends word to Elijah, I'm going to kill you. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if, if I'm Elijah in this situation, in this setting, I don't know that I would be too worried. I mean, we just read and heard the story of, of Elijah standing up against 400 men, 400 prophets of Baal, and, and he wipes them out, embarrasses them, and barely breaks a sweat, mocks them the whole time. And now this queen sends word, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And how does he respond? Verse 3, Elijah was afraid. Elijah was afraid. And he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than the ancestors, than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the bush, and he fell asleep. First thing I just want to kind of point out is, is the reality of the way that fear often works. Elijah wasn't afraid of the 400 prophets. He wasn't afraid of being embarrassed by his God. He wasn't afraid to pray prayers like, God, would you stop the rain for three and a half years? 
But this queen sends word by messenger that I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And he's scared to death. See, it wasn't really Jezebel that he was afraid of. And, it, and it's often the same case for us. It's not really something in our world that we're afraid of. What we're really afraid of is the possibility of what might happen in the future. We're afraid of something becoming real, but not something real. Really, fear is the, the dark side of faith. There's so many people who, who say things like, I just don't know that I can go there with faith. I just don't know that I can believe in God. I don't know that I can have faith that, that God is at work on my behalf. I don't know that I can believe that the pain I'm in is not all there is. I don't know that I can believe God for his help in the midst of this struggle. I don't know that I can believe God to help me in my relationships. I don't know that I can believe God to help me to live into the vision that he has put into my life. I don't know that I can have faith. But yet at the same time, they live by fear. Fear of failure. Fear of being hurt. Fear of the past. Fear of the future. But what is fear other than negative faith? Faith is the ability to imagine that God is for us and at work on our behalf and that there is good on the road ahead of us. That the best is yet to come when we follow Him. Fear is simply Faith that the worst is yet to come. If we can have fear, then we can have faith. If we can have fear, then we can have faith. But in these moments of life, it can be hard. Often we think that if we can just succeed, if we can just reach a certain point or get to a certain point of security or stability, that we won't deal with fear anymore. The problem is that stress and opportunity and success often come paired with the most difficult moments of our lives. They're connected. We can have the two emotions at once, joy and fear, success and this sense of doom and impending failure. The thing about fears is we often materialize our greatest fears. You see, we begin to imagine what could happen and then we act on it. We see this in Elijah. See, Elijah believed he had this fear that he was all alone in the service of God. So what does he do? He leaves his servant behind and he goes and he runs all alone. He isolates himself because he has fear that he's alone. He believed that he was in a desert place. So he goes running into the desert. He believes that God has abandoned him, so he abandons God. He believed that his life was over, so he prayed that God would take his life. He began to materialize his own fear. See, our fears can hold the blueprint for the life we create if we allow them to take root. They will ruin our lives. And the very thing we think we are running to or running from, we end up running to. You see, what really happened is he says he ran for his life, but what he was doing was running from his life. Some of us have created great nightmares in life and we've blamed God. And he prayed there, God, would you take my life? 
I'm so thankful that, that there have been times in my life that God didn't answer my prayers. Prayers to give up or to settle for less or to accept insignificance or to surrender my life away. Times I've prayed for things to end or to be done in a certain way and He didn't answer because God was not fighting me. He was fighting for me. Elijah, here he comes to the end of himself. And he's, let's just be honest, suicidal. He's afraid there is nothing left to live for. And he is ready to die, asking God to, to take his life. Can I say that if you find yourself in that place today, that Hydrant is the kind of people and the kind of place that will believe in you when you can't believe in you. They are the kind of place that will love you when you can't love yourself. And we need to come together in the faith. We don't need to isolate or run away or blame God. That We need to come to the very people that will help us to see what's Real, You see, we're not just in a fight for our own peace. We are not just in a fight for our own souls, but we are fighting for each other. We fight for each other. No more knocking people down. No more, no more trying to, to beat them down. No more, no more sense of neutrality at the pain and the loss and the, the disappointment of others. It's time that we fight for peace by fighting for each other. We need to fight for the people who don't have the privilege that we have. We need to fight for people who don't have the opportunity that we have. We need to fight for people who need to know they are loved and believed in. We need to stand together as the people of God for the people of this world. We're not alone. You are not alone. Feeling empty, feeling anxious, depressed, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. If you've been around Hydrant Church, you know, you know that I've shared many times about my own battles, my own battles with depression. The loss that happens in a place like Goldsboro as people move on and we, and we come to this kind of waypoint in the lives of people that we care about has a way of eating at me. Losses in life and disappointments and fears, they have a way of getting under my skin and, and it's not something that I live with in every moment, but it is a battle that I face every single day. I have to fight this battle but I lived a lot of years pretending like it wasn't there, denying the battle that I faced because I thought a good Christian shouldn't face this battle. A good pastor should be able to handle this. I shouldn't have to fight this battle. This can't be real. It's not who I am. It's not what I deal with. But it wasn't until I acknowledged the battle that I began to find the resources to win the battle. See, when we're in this battle with despair, and we allow the, the fear, we allow the lack of peace, we allow the anxiety, we allow the depression, we allow the hatred and the rage and the anger to get a hold inside of us, we can't see what is good anymore. 
We only see the things that hurt. We only see the things that are wrong with the world. We only see the things that are wrong with our lives. See, Elijah should have been able to look at his life and just be able to celebrate. Should have been able to celebrate the victories of the the prayer for rain and to release the rain. To be able to celebrate the victory of God. He just prayed down fire from heaven. I've never done that. I've never had that kind of miraculous power at work in my life. But he couldn't see it. He couldn't see the victories he won. All he could see was what he was facing and the pain and the loneliness and the disappointment. And he needed to look up. He lost sight of life. And it's what happens to us. We can't see anything but broken, hurt, and loss. And he thought, I'm no better than my ancestors. I've never been able to move out of the baggage of my past, the failures of those who have come before me. But then, then God enters the story. God enters the story. If we go back to 1 Kings 19, beginning at verse 5, it says, He laid down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and then he laid down again. I love this. I love this. Because it just it, it's such a clear illustration of how it works so many times. He fell asleep. He fell asleep. That's how we know he was depressed. He simply just fell asleep. I don't know about you, but when I'm depressed, I have trouble with sleep. I, I can't wake up in the morning and I can't fall asleep at night. Really, all I want to do is eat when I'm depressed. And maybe, maybe you're the opposite if you deal with this. Maybe it's you can't eat. I, I want pizza. I want donuts. I want ice cream. I want all of it. And what, is, what does the angel do? First, it says the angel touched him. I don't know about you, but if I'm this angel, if I'm God, I'd want to slap him. Come on, Elijah, wake up. See what's real. Look at your life as it really is. But he doesn't slap him around. He doesn't pin him up against the wall. He doesn't walk away from him. He gently touches him and wakes him up. And he begins to take care of him. He has hot bread on coals. I don't know. Add a little sauce, a couple toppings. You got pizza. Put a little donut, a little sugar. You got donuts. I don't don't know. He gave him carbs. Maybe, I'm just saying, he helped him to feel better. Something healing in those maybe. Maybe I'm reading into Scripture a little bit, but you see that he begins to take care of himself. There is sometimes that the most spiritual thing we can do is to take care of ourselves, to eat, to drink water, to sleep. In fact, he puts him, tells him to go back to sleep. And then he wakes him up and he says, eat one more time because this journey ahead of you is too much for you. Maybe you felt like that. The journey, the fight that God has put in your life is too much for you. Maybe instead of lamenting, instead of, God, why are you giving me this battle? God, why is it always so hard? God, why do I have to fight so much? Is to begin to thank Him for trusting you with this. 
I mean, would you really want God to give you a dream or a vision or a job or a life that was too small for you? Is that what you really want? But he says to us, this journey is too much for you. Rest, eat, and then head to the mountain of God. You need to meet with God. And so we see him. He ran for one day when he ran in his own strength. But then he goes for 40 days and 40 nights and makes it to the mountain of God. And he goes and he hides out in a cave. He goes to the mountain of God. And he spends the night in a cave. And God comes to him. He says, what are you doing here? It's kind of like the question he asks Adam and Eve, where, where are you? It's the question he asks us. The problem is, it's a rhetorical question. Elijah didn't quite understand that it was a rhetorical question. He starts to answer him. He's like, well, here's what's happened. We had this battle, and then the queen, she's going to kill me, and I'm the only one who's serving you. Everyone else has given up on you, and I'm just the only one, and so I'm here. I'm, this, is, this is why I'm here. Have you ever done that? God kind of like, what are, you, what are you doing right here? What are, you, what are you doing in the middle of this pity party? What, what are you doing right here complaining? What, what are you doing right here hiding out from your life? What are you do, doing right here sitting on your hands? What are you doing right here shrinking back? What are you doing running from your calling? What are you doing here running from your life? What are you doing in the cave? What are you doing here hiding out in the cave? Is there a cave that you're hiding in in your life? An excuse, a reason, an explanation that you're giving God when He's really just asked you a rhetorical question to get your attention and tell you it's time to step out of the cave and to find Him, to meet with Him, to be encouraged by Him? You see, when He does, He finally steps out of that cave. He steps out of the cave. And that's something we have to do if we're going to fight for peace in our life. We have to acknowledge the battle. We need to take care of ourselves. And we've got to step out of the cave. We've got to stop hiding. We've got to stop running. We've got to stop giving our reasons to God. We've got to step out to see Him, to hear Him. And he looked for him. Elijah looks for God. He looks for God in a, in a storm that comes. And he looks in the fire and he looks in the earthquake in these big moments, but God's not in those. And it says in the quietness, in the quietness, God passes by him. In the quietness, the Lord passes by. When we're in a cave, we're hurting, when we're stuck, we want God to come and stay with us. But He can't just stay with us. He passes by and He moves us because we're not supposed to be in the cave. We're not supposed to be at that mountain. We are supposed to be about the work that He's given us to do. And there are those times when we get lost in our fear and we get lost in the anxiety and we get lost in the anger and we get lost in the hatred and we get lost in the fear and they take a hold of us. And he is saying, it's time to step out of those. It's time to follow me into the life that I have for you. You have to begin to see things as they really are. You have to see the truth. 
And you're going to have to follow me, he says. The journey will always be too much for you. The battle will always be bigger than you. The battle doesn't go away. But I will show you the way through. We can't really be prepared to fight the battle that God has for us until we have found peace within. And I wish I could tell you that the battle against fear, fear of failure, fear of disappointment, fear of being hurt, fear of losing, fear of losing people. I wish I could tell you that the fears went away. I wish I could tell you that the battle gets easier. But here's the good news. The battle doesn't get easier, but you get stronger. Every time you acknowledge the battle, every time you take care of your heart and your mind and your soul, and you go to that mountain of God and you encounter him and you follow him out of that cave and you keep fighting. Every time you fight, you get stronger. And when we begin to win the battle for our souls, when we begin to win the battle for those around us, when we become a person of peace, we can begin to do what God is asking us to do. We can be the kind of people that lead communities out of the racism and out of the fear and out of the disappointment and out of the brokenness and out of the attacks on one another. We can bring unity across economic divides and gender divides and race and ethnicity divides, we can come together as people of peace. Having won the battle within, we can fight for peace in our world. But it begins in our surrender. It begins in our surrender to Jesus. It begins as we, we find ourselves in that cave and He asks us, what are you doing here? Why are you living your life this way? Why are you running? Why are you scared? Why are you staying right here in this place? Would you step out of the cave? Would you let me show you another way? Would you let me help you to forgive those wounds of the past that you've allowed to haunt you? Would you allow me to give you my strength when you're weak? Would you allow my love to flow into those darkest moments? Would you allow my spark to be the light that shows you the way? Jesus has lived and died and raised, been raised from the dead. He has overcome the darkness so that we could have life. He overcame the chaos. He overcame the fear. He overcame the anxiety to give us life. And he says to us, I give you peace. Not as the world gives peace, but I give you true peace. If you find yourself in need of that peace, acknowledge your battle. Turn toward God. Remember and rediscover the truth and allow Him to show you the way forward in grace and hope and love, forgiveness and peace. When we win the battle for peace within, we can be a part of winning the battle for peace in the world around us. Let's pray. Father, 
Sometimes when we think of war and warriors, when we think of battles, we think of violence and power, we think of anger and fear and control. But you have invited us to see that the true warrior only fights for peace. And that we begin to win the battle for peace in our world. We begin to to bring hope into our world as we win the battle for peace within our souls. And for some of us, this is a daily battle. And I pray, God, for each one who fights this battle and for each of those who have lived in denial, have been hiding in a cave, God, would they hear your voice and be reminded of your strength, of your love, and the possibility of peace in you, that you are the one who gives us peace, but that it it doesn't come without a struggle. It doesn't come without a struggle. So would you help us to struggle, to fight, to find determination and new discipline and strength? Would you help us to acknowledge our battle, to come to you and discover truth, to take care of our mind and body and soul, and to continue to fight the good fight? That we will come to you on that day and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name, amen.